Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking sports locally and nationally. Join the conversation on our social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. And welcome to another edition of the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, hashtag ODPH podcast. I am your host, Ken M. Joined in, well, it's not our usual haunts. Our current studio is getting repair work done, so we're in our backup studio for this episode. But fear not, because we're still joined by the illustrious panel, starting with the one and only Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. And also your coach, my coach, the coach, Coach Duffy. Oh, what's going on, guys? Not a lot has happened since I've been gone, right? No. Uh, it's been such a quiet week. I don't know where we're going to come up with the show, but... You know, we're going to have some fun we'll, here because we'll, we'll make something happen. Push through. We'll push through, guys. We'll yes. push through. All right. With your help, of always, ODPH audience, hit us up on the social media. Hashtag ODPH. Joining the conversation because we want to hear from you. But there is no bigger sports story going on right now than the NBA Finals and, more importantly, the injury sustained to Kevin Durant. And the Wolf. Knicks future down the toilet plummeting. Well, potentially. It is a wild scenario to say the least. Kevin Durant has not been playing with Golden State due to an injury for the past 31 days. So Which is wild. Yeah. It's crazy. 31 days of missing <laughs> basketball. Like, which for him has got a, which for the him playoffs. Is, which for him is, is you know, basketball's his lifeblood, his livelihood, his, you know, something that's been a, a major part of his life since he was a child. It's got to feel like an eternity. I mean, not only that, it's just it's the playoffs. Like yeah. you don't even think about a guy missing that much time yeah. during the playoffs. Yeah, it's, it's the, the most critical part of this season. If your team is fortunate enough to make it there, I mean, missing some time during the regular season while it sucks, it's not the worst thing in the world. But yeah, no, when it comes crunch time in the playoffs, you want to be there for your team. Oh, absolutely. And Golden State, I mean, they can work without him too. I mean, Kevin Durant is the best player on that team, bar none. And oh, yeah. I know, and yeah. with how star-studded that lineup is with Stephen Curry. Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, DeMarcus Cousins, who came back for the later run of the playoffs. They've survived without Durant in the lineup. Mm-hmm. But as the series has been progressing, Toronto has met them every step of the way and was ahead of them on a 3-1 lead going into last night's game as we record. Uh-huh. And Kevin Durant, who was rumored to be sitting out the series, and we said this on previous episodes, that if Durant wasn't 100% he should sit and yeah. Golden State would be able to manage without him. And I understand when it got to be 3-1, I don't know if the panic button hit. I know I said on last week's episode I wouldn't doubt him trying to come back and play. And yeah. sure enough, right before game time, it was announced that he was entering the lineup. Well, and wasn't it announced like either the day before or earlier in the day that like he'd been cleared for practice? It was it was the day before he was yeah. cleared for okay. practice, and then earlier in the day that they said they listed him as questionable. Right. right. So, obviously, to hear that he was entering the lineup was a big factor for Golden State going into Toronto because it's a do-or-die situation. Golden State needs to run the table if they want to win the championship. Any loss from here on out in the series is done. And as we saw, Kevin Durant was dancing in the locker room. He was, mm-hmm. he was in warm-ups. He looked, he looked like the Kevin Durant that we know. Yeah. Coming right out the gate, scoring some quick buckets. And then, little into the game, Injury struck, mm-hmm. and it looked like his Achilles tendon popped or tore. Yep. The footage is online. You can take a look for yourselves. It's not for the squeamish. No, and unfortunately, another ugly situation involving that was certain fans in the arena in Toronto were cheering and mm-hmm. applauding Durant being injured. So, obviously, Durant had to leave the game. His status and his future is now up in the air. And Golden State went on to win the game. Now, we're going to break down the game in the next segment. But for this one, let me start with the coach. What is the impact now with Kevin Durant 
not being in the Golden State lineup, and what is going to be the impending free agency. Uh, all right. So, yeah, starting off with Golden State, I mean, for them, it's all about whatever they got to do in the next game to win. I mean, they played well without him, you know, in that stretch during the game last night. I thought Steph Curry needs to continue to get going. And Boogie Cousins was a huge help during the game, which he hadn't been all series. So the problem is, is he's been so inconsistent that they can't rely him in the lineup. And Clay Thompson and Iguodala needs to stay off foul trouble, just like I wrote about in my preview show. You know, without Kevin Durant, it's not that it necessarily hurts not having Kevin Durant, because that's obvious. Mm-hmm. It's the depth that it takes away from. So not having Kevin Durant, you know, making Iguodala start then hurts that depth off the bench, which they have none. Right. Quinn Cook this series has played terrible. So that already right there is going to put them, you know, behind the eight ball. Luckily, they have a home game at Oracle, so they'll want to play for the hometown crowd, especially it being the last game. Now on to Kevin Durant. And I wrote – I what Charles Barkley said, if you can go out of your way, he said it on ESPN today, find it, listen to what he said because he nailed everything on the head. This is absolutely 110% blame on the Warriors. Mm-hmm. This is their fault that this injury happened. And the guy that got – and the interesting thing of it, and the tell of two coins is – the guy who was vilified last year was Kawhi Leonard yeah. mm-hmm. all year for sitting out Yeah, all year long. Oh, he's healthy. He's healthy. The Spurs doctors, he's healthy. He's healthy. He can come back. He just is choosing not to. And Kawhi and his team knew that they needed to wait for him to come back because he wasn't 110%. He might have been 90%. He might have even been 99%, but he wasn't 100%. And his team said, hold out. And he did. And now he's coming back, and he's 100% healthy, and he's playing going to be the MVP of the series as long as Toronto wins. Right. Durant, on the other hand, and this is my biggest gripe with the NBA too, the injuries aren't necessarily listed like they are in the NFL. And for the NFL, it's it's a gambling purpose, right? Like mm. they want the gamblers to know so that way there's no sway in betting or anything like that what the injuries are going to be. In the NBA, it was all week. Oh, it's a calf soreness. It's a It's a minor thing. You know, he's okay. He's getting treatment. And that's, and then he was vilified by us, the public, because we're like, oh, Kevin Durant, he's soft. He's not going to play because he, he, you know, whatever. But this injury obviously was bigger than what it was. Well, and what throws me and what blows my mind is, let's not forget, this same series, Clay Thompson had his hamstring injury. Right. And, and he wanted to play game three in, like, the worst way possible, and the team held him out. Listen, no, listen, you need to get better and get 100%. We're going to need you for the long stretch. What's the difference here? Hey, the difference is, is that Kevin Durant's leaving. Yeah, that's the difference. So now on to that step step of things with pending free agency, like Ken mentioned. If I'm Kevin Durant, I opt in. He has an option on his contract. I opt in. I take the guaranteed. I think it's like around 19 million for the next season, and I sell out the entire year, and I rehab the entire year, and I don't come back until I'm ready to. And if the Warriors try and push me back to say that they're going to make a playoff run, I say, "Fuck yourself," because I'm not coming back. Not again. I'm not doing this again. I think you have a point there, but I also think any team that is looking to pursue Kevin Durant's interest, and let's be honest, Toronto's not going to be in one of those pursuits because he's not going to want anything to do with that fan base after that that act of the fan base. Um, I think the case a lot of teams are going to pitch are going to be, hey, listen, we know you have your Achilles thing. You rehab that. You tell us when you're ready to go. We'll sit here. We'll maintain. We'll do us. We'll play ball. We'll win. We'll lose. We'll whatever. The instant you feel you are 100%, you tell us, we'll pen, we'll put you in the lineup. Absolutely. So here's two things to that, though. One, that was the same theory that DeMarcus Cousins had, mm-hmm. that he was going to be able to still get free agency money 
despite the fact that he blew his Achilles last year in New Orleans. And look what happened to him during free agency. He got a $5 million veteran minimum from Golden State only because Golden State's like, we don't really need you, but if you want to come here and rehab and everything, we've got the best facilities in the NBA next to Dallas. Come here. We'll let you rehab, and when you come back, you come back. So that's the biggest – that's A. And then B, I mean – you just you don't want to go into this offseason not knowing the future. And now, granted, I've I read the report that four teams are still interested in signing Durant, and they wouldn't have a uh, injury clause until year three. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if that's the case, and it's one of the destinations he wants to go to, then maybe yeah, you do that. But at the same time, like I would just take the free money and 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 get it while it's getting. It's an interesting story to look at from all the angles. For the immediate impact for Golden State, it's a tough loss to make up ground for, but they've been playing mm-hmm. without him. And they showed last night that they could win the game without him in the lineup. Albeit, though, if they didn't have that hot start with Durant, would the game have even been that close late? That's a question you can argue. You can argue. I mean, this yeah, is a I, mean, I, I still think that they obviously they have, and I read the, the sports uh, whatever nation was the funniest thing. Saying that, oh, this team, the Toronto Raptors are a bunch of no names with Kawhi Leonard. They're they're the O four Pistons. Get out of here. This team, Kyle Lowry is a is a former NBA All Star, first teamer. You got Marcus All, who is a Olympic gold medal or silver medalist, NBA All Star. Then you got uh, Danny Green, who is a very very quiet, solid veteran three point shooter and three and D type guy. And then you got um, Siakam, who is a NBA All-Star in the making. Isn't Serge Ibaka on that team, too? And Serge Ibaka comes off your bench. He's your sixth man. And he's a former NBA All-Star. And that's where they have the lineup is pretty well matched up. And I've said this before. I think without Kevin Durant in the lineup, Golden State's just a little quicker. Speed-wise, just running up and down the court. I think that that is the only real difference, per se. But they still have their All-Star shooters. They still are going to be okay. So to obviously make a run, and obviously they've dug themselves a pretty big hole in this playoff series to see them get out of it. It's not exactly the same as when Cleveland did it to them a couple of years ago. Right. right. This one would be a little more challenging. It's going to have its own storylines. But without Kevin Durant in the lineup, and there's a lot of blame that's going around. And, I mean, I know that the Warriors' Bob Myers Ugh. was the person who has taken back the blame, and he's the one that had the you know very emotional press conference, which I don't know. When I saw that, I just immediately thought it was like when Terrell Owens was saying to, about Tony Romo, that's my quarterback. And I was just like, I, I, I just, I don't. That's my QB. It was just like, I understand from a, a couple different ways, but the way I personally looked at it, I was like, I don't really know per se if it was just all who you really blame on that because the Warriors, I'm sure they want him back in the lineup, but I'm sure that yeah. he, they, if you go up and you ask any athlete, okay. If this is where – can you play, what are they going to say, yes or no? Well, it's just this is the funny thing, though, is that all year they vil- – like, I mean, Kevin Durant's been vilified all year uh-huh. in that Golden State media and by the team even. Draymond Green calling him out in mm-hmm. post-game. The, uh, Bob Myers has even called him out in press conferences. I mean, these guys have the, – the, um, you know, the writing's been on the wall there that Kevin Durant's leaving. Right. And they've been the one that have been the catalyst of that. You know, Durant and his people have been quiet for the most part. So, you know, they're already doing that, you know, by, oh, he's leaving, he's leaving. And then it comes to this game where, you know, he's obviously less than 90%. Yeah. I mean, at at the minimum, less than 90%. 
and he comes back in, rushes his, you know, the and and plays and looks good in the first sec, uh, seven minutes, but then comes out at the five hundred one mark because he had t- tightness in the leg. Mm. That should have been an immediate red flag right yeah. there. Yeah. Right. So that's why I say I think the Warriors have to take the blame for oh, putting him in. On God, this. yes. And that's why that's where I'm trying to go with my point. Yeah. Is they have to take the blame for this because with Durant, and I'm sure as we've seen throughout his career. He has taken the opinion of the public very seriously. Whether you want to say about the burner Twitter accounts sure. and and the situations where he responds to criticism of himself, that he wanted to prove everybody wrong. That for whoever the vocal majority was saying that he was just sitting out because he was ready to leave, nobody was saying that. Yeah, it wasn't. That was a non-story that people were well, making up. The Golden State. Well, Golden Media State was, was yeah. Golden that. State yeah. was saying that, and that's why I took just match up with your point though, Coach. I don't think he stays for that reason. I yeah. think he leaves. I think that he is going to get to the situation and said, you put me in a situation that I wasn't comfortable playing in. And when I said I had tightness in my leg when you stopped me at the 501 501, yep. When that happened, that should have been a red flag and said, hey, I tried going. I gave you, what, uh, nine points out the gate? Out the gate, what, yeah. Whatever the two case three, was. Two threes and, a, uh, and one. Yeah. So the minute he said that and they said no and just kind of brushed it off, like however that communication didn't happen, that he went back in and then obviously the injury happened. You have to look at that and go, okay, if this organization was pushing me for that, and I understand it's the playoffs and I understand that, hey, this is win or go home. I get that. But at the same token, when you have that superstar athlete that you want to keep, that you're trying to retain, unless you've already kind of cut the cord and said, okay, he's on his own, you can't put him in that situation and expect him to come back. I don't. Either way, though, it shouldn't have been. It should not have been to this because uh, Kawhi Leonard, the same role. No, 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 no. His him and his team put the foot down mm-hmm. and vilified for it. Durant should have done the same thing and just dealt with the fact that he was a pending free agency and just dealt with it. Right, but you know what? Different people handle situations like that differently. Well, that's that's the only thing. His I mean, problem is with. I mean. It's just public perception. Like he just he thrives on it, and it's like, what do you care? That's that's the thing. The other thing we're all too familiar with is sports athletes, not just in basketball, but baseball, football, hockey. That they're even somewhat injured, but they can still go. They could be playing on one leg, and they're like, all right, put me in, coach. I can go. There's a certain degree of like the the team has to step in and go, no, you can't do this because the player's not going to put their best interest forward. Well, they and they did that with Clay. Yeah, they did. But Clay also is a pending free agent who they have Mm -hmm. bird rights for that they can toss, you know, the max salary at and probably are going to retain him. You would think. I mean, obviously, going into this wild season of free agency that's coming up, and it is going to be absolutely crazy with how many teams have cleared out max cap space. Durant is the domino that's going to set the pace for everybody. And I think, obviously, with his injury, sure, some of the luster is now off him going to a different team. That Now the the hot topic is Anthony Davis and where he's going to get traded to. Mm-hmm. Our team's going to be more prone to go get him rather than try and sign Durant. Because, obviously, it's an Achilles injury. We oh, it's a year. We, we don't know the extent yet. It's a, it's a year at minimum. It's, it's a, year, a year minimum. It's a year minimum if it is a full tear. I mean, and because they haven't came out fully. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, the we all know the secretive nature of the Golden State Warriors right now. Right. So. Right. And that's the thing. We don't know the full extent. We're guessing that it is a tear as we are recording. And then obviously coming back from an Achilles, it is very rare that an athlete comes back to that all-star level. I think the one that I keep hearing about is when Dominique Williams tore his AC or Wilkins. Achilles. Yeah. Dominique Wilkins. Yeah. Um, so ESPN stats and info did have a tweet on Twitter today where they said like, the last nine players who have had an Achilles injury of some form or another, 
there has been a significant or even a moderate drop in both performance and minutes played the following season when they come back. Well, I mean, he's 30 years old right now. Yeah. I mean, he's going into year third. He's going into like what? This would be year 11 mm. in theory because he came out 19. So he's going into year 11 of his career, and he's coming off an uh, you know Achilles injury, which as a basketball player, that's 90 percent of what you need. Right. You know, I mean, the the person I would compare to and what I would do if I was Durant is I would reach out to Kobe. Yeah. That'd be the first thing I would get. Whatever yeah. team he yeah. worked with to rehab and get back. Yeah. Because Kobe came back early. Yeah. But again. That's Kobe Bryant, and he is a whole nother animal, you know? Right, right. but Kobe's also been open about helping other players and doing whatever sure. players who reach out. I'm more than willing to guess that if, if KD calls up Kobe and goes, hey, listen, this this Achilles injury, I'm looking at you know, a year. I know you had your deal and your team, and you came back sooner. Now I might not come back sooner, but I want to work with your team. Well, I would compare it to then. So what I would compare it to, though, is like somebody like Seth Rollins who came from wrestling off that ACL, MCL, and PCL terror. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was back in eight months. Yeah. of a year minimum injury, and he came back wicked fast when normal guys would take the year. Right. There, so there's two different type of animals. There's Kevin Durant, who who knows what his reaction will be to this, and then there's Kobe Bryant, who the next day after he tore, not only shot three throws with a torn Achilles, mind you, yep. but then came back the next morning, had his surgery scheduled, and started rehab my, that day. My guess and this is my, I'll say this is my official ODPH guess because this is where I'm going to go with this. I think Durant is going to start rehabbing immediately, and I think the public perception that he's done is going to fuel him. Oh, he's going to have the biggest chip on his shoulder. To come back in a big way. And what I think he's going to do is I think he's going to go and opt out of Golden State and take his chances on the free agency market because I fully see him going to the Knicks still. I do. I, I think if he goes anywhere now, it would be the Knicks. Yeah. I think if he, cause if he goes there, it's already a project in the making mm-hmm. that they're not going to – him signing there, injured or not, is not going to impact their next year. Right. You know? No. That's why I said it's probably the safest landing spot for yeah. him. Because at Golden State now, you now have that weird interaction relationship now with the upper management and your team. Right. Because you came back when you weren't ready. And all you right. kept hearing is you were you were okay in practice, and there's been a lot of speculation, and you can go search this from other players that have talked to him and interacted, and players were telling him don't don't come back. And plus, the, and plus the thing with the Knicks is that let's let's be honest, the, the Knicks aren't going to get any worse if he doesn't play. Exactly, and that's yeah, and that's, that's the other part. That's yeah. the other thing. The, the Knicks the Knicks aren't going to get any worse, but on the flip side, the Warriors they're potentially facing the fact that they might lose Clay Thompson. Uh, Demarcus Cousins is on like a one year deal, so you're facing the fact that you could lose. Clay Thompson, you could lose Demarcus Cousins, and all of a sudden you're left with Steph Curry and Draymond Green. I, I don't think Clay's going anywhere. I don't. I mean, I know it's that's a, speculation, it, but it's a possibility. It's yeah. on the it's on yeah, the it's table. On the table. It, it's on the table. So there's a lot of different ways they can go with it. But for Kevin Durant, I mean, the story writes itself. Hypothetically, let's put this scenario in. He goes to New York. He mm-hmm. sits out a year. They wind up getting another player to match up with him. Maybe not a Kyrie Irving, because if the talk is true that he wants to go to Brooklyn, it's not going to be him. But they still have the number three pick. They could still make a move with that. Well, well I mean, not even that. Hold on to that. I mean, so you have R.J. You're going to obviously get R.J. Barrett. Right. You're going to, let's say, the other p- potential free agency is they're going to have a sit-down meeting with Kawhi. They're going to have a sit-down. Obviously, Kemba's going to at least listen to them. So they get one of those other contracts now, and they sign Durant. They have R.J. Barrett. All right, so whoever's there... Goes through the year. Durant comes back the next season. So let's just say they finish top lottery pick. Another yeah. lottery pick, all right? 
they get top 10 draft pick again. They have that pick plus the Dallas pick next year, mm-hmm. which has the potential of looking very, very good. So they have a very, very solid – again, when I wrote that on – I put it on my Twitter, the Knicks have such a good, solid, young fundamental nucleus right now yeah. that to me versus the Nets situation where they have to get little um, D'Angelo Russell to make that other max spot and they'd have to um, – you know, you get paired with Jared Allen, but they have no picks. Yeah. They traded them all when they traded Crab. Mm-hmm. So they have literally nothing to build upon. So you go there and you're done. Right. It's a, it's a no-win situation per se, but the Knicks have the biggest upside. And if he could win, like I said, the the story writes itself. If you think about it, he comes back from a torn Achilles. <sighs> oh, my God. And yeah. he wins a chip in New York. Mm-hmm. Off the torn Achilles, off of the abysmal uh, run that the Knicks has had over the last 10 years. Ten plus be, years. He'd literally be a basketball god. Yeah. And you don't think that that's not playing in the back of his head. Right now, I guarantee you he's going to get ready because all the teams that are writing him off and saying he can't come back, he's going to use his motivation because, as we see, he reacts to the public opinion. Right. And that public opinion is he's done. If you've been watching all the shows this today and all the sports writers and everybody's saying, oh, he's done, he's done, it's so, it's tough for him to come back. He's going to be on a stationary at some point in like the next six months with like a laptop set up and like a running Microsoft PowerPoint slide of like all this stuff motive, as motivation. Absolutely. So when he gets finally ready to come back, it's going to be a huge deal. Mm-hmm. And I tell you what, the team that picks him up, which will be the Knicks, are going to have a very bright future with a superstar ready to win the many steps on that court. The only thing I worry about with the Knicks is they just don't have a good track record of, bring, of this is true. you know, rehab and let you know guys coming back because Przingis obviously used his own team, and I know that Przingis is what it is, and that mm-hmm. situation is a whole nother belly of the beast. But at the same time, it's what it is. I mean, he didn't trust the Knicks trainers to bring him back, so. But you, but the thing is, you didn't have a guy that has that big of a chip on his shoulder. Przingis, right? The the, the mentality of Przingis is a lot different than the mentality and, of Durant. And I get it, but I'm just talking from pure facility standpoint. Oh, facility. You point. know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, that's the reason why Demarcus went to Golden State on that five million dollar deal because he did get an offer from a you know a less caliber team for more money and more years. But he wanted to go to Golden State because they two things they said: rehab here, we have the second best facilities in the NBA, and two. Come back when you want to. But I think the Knicks will get – if they got Durant, they would give him an open door, and you just – you work it out how you want to work it out. My, yeah, oh, yeah. He would, they would let him bring his own team. My biggest thing is is going to be the contract, the language of the contract, because whatever team is willing to go the furthest without having an opt-out for injury is going to be the team that's going to get him. And, you I, know? Gu- and I, mean, I guarantee it's New York. I guarantee you it will be New York. Every other team will give a good run. But for the Kevin Durant saga, obviously it has ended on a bad note for now. But the second act is far from over. And where he comes back next season is going to be anybody's guess. But my guess is he's going to look really good in a Knicks jersey. Because when the Knicks are going to be rebounding. I mean, it looks great on my 2K. I'm telling you, the future is, very, is, is going to be very <laughs> bright. And the story is going to write itself. So get your movie tickets ready now. But let us know what you think. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts on the Kevin Durant injury? Who is to blame? And where do you think he goes next? We want to know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Rob Kacharek from the band 607, Autopilot Off, and Walking Distance. And you're listening to ODPH. ODPH. 
Welcome back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and we still got to talk some basketball. Let's get down to the game, shall we? Mm-hmm. Golden State versus Toronto, game five up in the north. Mm-hmm. Pad, you got those stats? Yeah, so the final score ended up being 106 to 105. Uh, Draymond Green scoring 10 points, Steph Curry with 31, Clay Thompson with 26, Clay and Steph, the Splash Brothers, really coming up clutch in the fi- late, uh, latter minutes. Kawhi Leonard, 26 points of his own, Serge Ibaka with 15 points. Coach, your thoughts on this series so far? You haven't been here in a couple episodes. Let's, yeah. let's break it down. Well, I mean, I'll say this, that that Kawhi Leonard guy can play some basketball. Yeah, he might yeah. work out. I mean, my God. if they're So, obviously, Kobe was the the previous generation's closest thing to uh, MJ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kawhi Leonard's the next breed. Okay. I mean, he's looking at he His growth in the game right now is so fun to watch. And, I mean, he was great in San Antonio, but obviously we're on the East Coast. They're a West Coast team, so it was difficult, you know, really to see the games and stuff. And, you know, if they weren't on uh, ESPN or TNT, you know, not a local market game, so you're not yeah. going to see it. Yeah. Um, but I watched, you know, a bunch of Toronto games this year, and he just plays basketball, man. I mean, it's nuts. Well, I think he's a guy that came in with a chip on his shoulder, too, because sure. everybody was writing him off, and obviously the drama that happened in San Antonio. The fact he's in Toronto, a city that fully has embraced him, yep. mm-hmm. and he is now the face of that organization, albeit for a couple more games or if they can re-sign him, depending on what he wants to do at the end of the season. But they took a gamble on him, and he is proving every contract it's worth. I mean, yeah, I mean every, every, every penny it's worth. And then the other thing, you know, pointing back to the preview show and what I said last last segment is Golden State's lack of depth is oh, absolutely noticeable. Yeah. I mean, it's brutal to watch once they start going deep. And, and the crazy thing is, is Kerr's still going deep in his bench. Yeah. He's still playing, you know, four or five guys. I'll say, I'm looking at the, the box score here. There's only one person on the entire Golden State team that didn't play. The rest of them had... Uh, playing time, even if it was two minutes, like Andrew Bogut. But like you mentioned, the bench play is really giving them nothing for him. In terms of anyone who wasn't a starter, it was you know two points, zero, zero, four. I mean, the most was Demarcus Cousins off the bench, who had fourteen points. After that, nobody had more than five. Yeah, I mean, I saw at one point they had a lineup of Quinn Cook, Clay Thompson, Sean Livingston. Uh, they had Looney, and then that McKinney, mm-hmm. who's played well, but really not a threat offensively no so you have that lineup in who are you worried about you're yeah. focused 110 percent on clay thompson and that's what and another to flip back to toronto nurse and the job that he's done defensively has been tremendous to watch the fact that he's whipped out box and one box and one like my god it works at an nba level which blew my freaking mind man yeah like that blew my mind that a box and one at the level that they are in nba you know the premier talent of the nba and it works is nuts it's just it proves the fundamentals can still work if you have the talent to prove to pull it off and they're doing it up in Toronto. I mean, Nurse has coached a, a pretty near-perfect series. Yeah. I do argue, though, with how he handled the final minutes of Game 5. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I do argue that when you still have that timeout and you let the lead slip when they scored, when Golden State went on that run, I believe it was 11-2 in the final couple minutes. Something like that, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I, and, and you had that extra timeout, so when you didn't have that final shot, you should have called it. 
I, somewhere in that. Part day. of the problem is though is that there's two ty- there's two styles of coaching when it comes to that. There's the guy who you know a Phil Jackson type that wants his team to work through the runs and not waste the timeout. And then there's the other style that it's like, if a team goes on a run, I need to cut their momentum now so I can regroup my guys. Mm -hmm. And when you're sitting there and you've got that timeout, you know, you're hedging on the fact that your team's going to be able to pull out the win. So calling it, you know, yeah, all right. Retrospect, yeah, it's bad. But I, because I was in there when they came up the court, and I mean, and they just given up the big basket. Yeah, that yeah. It was like, okay, you need to call it now. Get your guys settled because the minute's going to happen, and you're going to try going in, and everybody knew the ball was going to go to Kawhi. Right. So you had to have a backup plan going, and Lowry threw up a, a quick shot, which I think Green did hit with his hand. Oh, for that. Yeah. yeah, he did tip it a little bit. Yeah, it was like the, his middle finger and then like his ring finger or something right. like that. Right, but this is where I mean I would have called the timeout and then like I said, hindsight's twenty twenty. And in that moment, I'm sure he wants his guys to figure out and just kind of go from there. And the momentum they he wanted to get back, and if they could pull that win off, it, especially with how Kawhi went crazy there with those unanswered points. Yeah, right, right well, in that middle of the stretch of the fourth. And that's why you you hedge on the fact that you're going to be able to pull out and get a lead because. Your team has done that all series, right? And I mean, I've always, I'm, I mean, I know it's CYO high school basketball, but I always tell my assistant coach, "Hey, tell me if the team needs to to get a timeout because I always want my players to play through it. I want the me- mental toughness of the fact that they can work through a run. So I always tell them, I'm like, "Hey, let me know if I need to call a timeout on this run right now because right. I'm going to let them play through it." And obviously that. You know, he hedged on the fact that he needed to regroup his guys. And, you know, it's a tough situation because with the way that the NBA is, how you can advance the ball, Mm -hmm. you really do want to hold on to that final timeout, though, just for a what-if scenario. True. I think in that situation, though, I would have called in. I mean, Yeah, I I mean, in college, though, it doesn't matter. You don't advance the ball. So it's like that's why coaches blow through timeouts because the ball doesn't advance. Who cares? Right. But in this situation, especially with how – Toronto let the lead slip when they had the momentum, and they, right. it was kind of the weird timeout when they called when they had the momentum going. Right, which I I wouldn't have, but but like I say, however you want to coach, Nurse has been coaching a pretty good series. I yeah, mean, I, yeah. I can't really fault him on too much, but just with how he's managing that clock, especially late when this, when Golden State did retake the lead, and when you can't maintain that lead late, because I mean I was really surprised they came back to score unanswered. I mean it was almost like when Reggie Miller did what he did in the Garden. Yeah. Never forget. Try to, but never forget. Um, that situation, though, is when you got to really make that call and really steer your team in the right direction because now they're going to be heading back to Golden State with all the hoopla about how the crowd reacted to Durant. And it really shouldn't fall on the entire Toronto fan base. No. Certain fans were just complete disrespectful and just And you're always going to get you're always going to get that at a sporting yeah. event. Yeah. Like it, it may not be as loud and pronounced as what we heard during the game last night, but if you ever go to a sporting event and some player gets hurt, there will always be that one fan or that couple of fans who are yelling some obscene really not nice thing at a player who's on the floor injured. I think part of the problem was too is they probably didn't realize the you know, it was more of a uh, we don't know the severity of this injury, so it's you know always the soft narrative. Yeah. So that's probably why they were cheering, like always oh, out of the game. But it's still it doesn't have a room. You know, it, there's no room for it. But that's a whole other thing. No, it's a whole another thing. But what I'm saying is now the momentum has now shifted back mm-hmm. somewhat to Golden State, and when they're coming back to their home court, 
you know that they're going to be amped up to prove yeah. a statement because obviously they're going to use what happened to Durant as a little chip on their shoulder and especially the reaction they got. I mean, everybody thought that momentum was on their side in game four and Toronto came out and spanked But, them. but that's what Toronto's going to need to do. They're also going to be real loud because it's going to be the final game at the Oracle. Right. So yeah. I mean, there's going to be a lot of emotion in that game. And for Toronto, though, their key to victory is they're going to need to do like what Coach was alluding to. They're going to need to do what they did in game four. They're going to need right. to really settle in, impose their will. Kawhi is going to have to have a big MVP sealed game. And what I mean, the trophy should be a lock to him after. I'm not saying he's got to put up 40. No, but he's, but no. he's, but he he's, could put up 10 and still get in the MVP award. Right, but he's going to have to really make sure that he's leading that team by example. Oops, and, and, the Raptors, and the Raptors are also going to need to step up bigger in crunch time than they did in game five because to me, when I'm watching the game, those final minutes are some of the biggest crunch time a lot of those players on Toronto have ever faced in their career, bar Kawhi Leonard, because, well, let's face it, Kawhi's been there. Right. Oh, and, yeah. and they didn't step up. But this entire game coming up in game six, you know, a couple days from now, is going to be even bigger than that because it's it's game six. Like, this is win and you win the championship, or you got to face a game seven at home with all this nonsense going on. Now, I mean, to me right now, the biggest thing is if I'm Toronto, I'm going back to what we did game one and game two without – KD in the Golden State lineup, but they still had Clay. You got to get Clay in early foul trouble. Mm-hmm. If you get Clay in early foul trouble, and then you make them have to play Sean Livingston or Quinn Cook, and it's just Steph and Draymond Green, you can focus your attention on Steph, and then you shut him down, and then they have Golden State has zero offense right. without that. And the and for Golden State, my X factor, just like I wrote about in the preview, is Demarcus Cousins. Yeah, if he can play well like he did in the third quarter of Game Five, then they can win this game. But if he plays bad, like he did in the fourth, like quarter. like he did in the fourth quarter, or like he's done all series, they are toast. Let's well, say so if he comes out and he comes out like a man possessed and he's blocking shots up fifteen rows deep in the seats, they're in good shape. But if he comes out and he's just playing awful, like you said in, in the one game, then yeah, they ain't got a shot. Well, he's had an awful series. He, I just. I know that it's probably really difficult to fit in with this team because of your style of play because mm-hmm. they want to play up and down and you want to be in the post and everything. Yeah. So I know that's probably difficult, but I just my, the I don't understand how they don't put him down on the block and then have guys run pin screens around him, off of him, near him, and get Clay in and Steph open. You would think that would be the offense Kerr would go with, but he doesn't want to change what he's been doing. Well, I mean, it's like even the little triangle would work with him down on the block and just let him, because he's an excellent passer. That's the one thing you can say about DeMarcus all series is he's passed well, mm-hmm. minus the couple turnovers. But other than that, he's known for being a good passer. Why not just exploit that? You know, get him on the block, let them run on the perimeter and space the floor that way. Yeah. It would yeah. make a lot of sense to do, and like I said, Kerr is going to have to kind of come up with a different scheme now because obviously Cousins is hurting you more than he's helping you. Yeah. Yeah. You can just take a look at that fourth quarter where he's just committing very bad fouls, very bad ball control, and just, I mean, honestly, Toronto should have capitalized on those more than they oh, did. Oh, sure. Well, and, I. It's but what do you do? I mean, you, Bogut? You got to figure something out, and I just don't know where exactly you go with that. Who's the one, who's the one warrior pad that didn't play? Uh, that would be Jerekbo, if I'm saying that name okay. right. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, so they even went, they went that deep. Yeah. They well, went yeah. Deep. I mean, here's Andrew Bogut. Since I know you threw the name out there, here's his stat line: two minutes played, no shots, no free throws, no rebounds, no assists, no steals, no blocks, 
No turnovers and one personal foul. All right. Then there's Looney, and then they got one other big. Did he? And Looney's banged up too. Yeah, yeah, with that cartilage. Yeah, there. Looney's Looney's banged up, but no, yeah, literally the only guy on their bench that, that is listed in the box score here is this Jarekbo guy who is a, listed as a power forward and did not play coach's decision. Everybody else played. Oh, so they? I mean, they even ran Jordan Bell. I mean, that's how desperate they are right now to find bigs that they ran because Jordan Bell hadn't played all series. Let's so say Jordan Bell four minutes, one shot, one, and he made it. So two points. It's going to be interesting to see how they pull this off. Like we, as we're recording, Golden State is a three-point favorite at home for this. Now that is not anything to say. Oh, Golden State's going to no. win this game outright. That is typical for a home team. Okay. Yeah. The interesting for me for Game Five though was when we were flipping back and forth when we were watching. Was okay. You had the whole KD drama going on, but then you know, yeah, Golden State had the lead for a while, and then and then Toronto came back, and but it, it was weird because it never felt like for whatever reason the Golden State could never pull away. This is very true, and it's one thing that with, for Golden State, though, they couldn't pull away because Toronto would scrap with them. Yeah. And they definitely were hanging in there. And Toronto's other role players, I don't, and like I say, we always focus so much on Kawhi, but Van Vliet has had a great series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Defensive, I mean, more defensively than offensively. I mean, not last night. Not, no. not no. last night, though. That was his worst game that he's played defensively. Right. If I So right now, if I'm Kerr, my rotation would be limited to, like, I, Steph and Clay, one of them would be on the floor at all times. Yeah. Whether they're, you know, if they sub out early, then sub in for each other, as long as they're out of foul trouble. But I would be using McKinney, and if DeMarcus Cousins is playing, I'm riding the hot hand. So if he's playing well, I'm going to let him go. And then I'm probably going to go McKinney, Livingston, and then I'm going to go with uh, Looney. I'm going to leave coach on this one. That's I th- it. I, I think Kerr's going to sit down with his coaching staff and figure out some way to plan out, okay, how do we, how can we get this so that at some point during the entire game we can have Curry or Clay on the floor at all times? Because and then obviously you're gonna have to rotate guys out and keep one on, but like he's got, I feel like he's got to sit down with his coaching staff and figure out this out. Because Quinn Cook's killing you, mm-hmm. and Sean Livingston can't shoot a three to save his life. I think I have a better three point percentage shooting than Sean Livingston. So and he passes up shots, and you cannot have that in the finals. Like then they don't have to guard you. Yeah, they, at the perimeter, they know who's going to shoot and they know who's not going to shoot. And Toronto is a smart enough team; they'll pick up on that. And they have been playing pretty well defense. I mean, Serge Ibaka has had a great series. Serge Ibaka has had a resurgence. Yes, this playoff. So when you have your role players stepping up and doing what they need to, and then we talked about this on the preview of the finals, if Kawhi got help from his team, they were going to actually have a really good chance of winning this. Going into Game Six, this is now a must-win for both teams. I don't think Toronto wants to get to a Game 7. I, no. think, I think that's a fair statement. I The only reason why I would feel comfortable if I was Toronto is because we got Kawhi. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. we got Ka- Kawhi. That would, that would be the only thing that I'd be like, man, we got Kawhi Leonard right now on our, you know, on our Game 7 staff. Like I, I feel comfortable with that. But yeah. that's it. Yeah, well, I don't think he's going to get rattled. He's been down this road before, and he is. The man doesn't have feelings, so no, he's not going to get rattled at all. <laughs> no, but that's what you need in that locker room. That when these younger players, and the first time a lot of them have been to the playoffs, are looking to see how to handle what's going on. And Kawhi is just as cool as anybody about dealing with the pressure about this. I mean, he's, he's Billy D. Williams cool. Yeah, he is. Just, say, as a wise man once said, he's as cool as the other side of the pillow. Right, and that is such a. a plus for Toronto, not just for what he's bringing on the court, but just how he's handled this. Because the minute that Golden State won yesterday, this when people were not talking about how Durant was injured and was possible free agency, you know, is he going to opt in for, what, the $31 million or not for next season? 
the minute that the talking stopped about that and they focused on the game, it went to, is this going to be how Cleveland, Golden State, part two, just swap out the team names? And how can Golden State run the table and take the championship? Well, and you, you brought up how cool Kawhi was. He got asked in postgame, oh, why didn't you take the final shot? And he just kind of paused and looked at the reporter and goes, because I had two guys on me. Yeah, I mean, he gets it. Like my big, So if I'm Toronto and I'm a fan base and we don't win game six, I'm worried about Lowry. I'm worried mm-hmm. about uh, Siakam. I'm worried about those guys playing in a game seven. Danny Green's been there before. He was with San Antonio. He was with Leonard. He gets it. And Mark and Marcus Saul's played in gold medal games, mm-hmm. so he understands the importance of you know one game elimination series. So those guys, I wouldn't be worried about. The moment's not going to be too big for them. Lowry has shown though that he can be inconsistent. Yeah, and that game seven against Philly, it certainly wasn't Lowry who was carrying them no, through that game. No, Leonard played out of his freaking mind, and Leonard's going to have to do that again. Yeah. So let me ask this before we close up the segment. Who wins tomorrow night or who wins the series, starting with Coach? I mean, I had Golden State in six, so I'm just going to stay Golden State in seven. All right. Pat? I, th- I think it's going to be Toronto and just close the whole thing out. I think there's going to be way too much distraction going on for the Golden State Warriors with Kevin Durant and everything on the field, off or on the court, off the court, that I just don't think it's good. they're going to be able to pull it off. Toronto has had a stellar run, to say the least, to get to the finals. They finally did it. They didn't have to go through LeBron. They did it their way with Kawhi Leonard leading the charge. Golden State has had a lot of drama this year, which is very un-Golden State-like, if I can say that. With Kevin Durant, with his upcoming free agency and now injury, how Golden State is weathering the storm is truly remarkable. The mentality of the team going into Thursday night's game, I apologize, I said tomorrow night's as we're recording, is going to be really interesting to watch. Because is the team going to be able to come in and win two games back-to-back against a team that is really kind of playing with house money? Toronto really wasn't expected to get this far, but their role players of Van Vliet and Ibaka have really stepped up. How Kyle Lowry is going to show up for this game, I think, is going to be the X factor. If he can at least keep up with Klay Thompson shooting-wise and give Kawhi a chance to breathe and get some points and really take over the game, Toronto's got a great shot to win. I think they do win tomorrow night. I think Toronto is going to pull off the upset at Golden State. It's going to be a close game. It's going to be another one-point decision, in my opinion. Is it going to go overtime? I hope not, because I don't know if I can take that much stress. But I feel that Kawhi Leonard is going to put a statement win at Oracle on Thursday night, and he's going to bring the championship back to Toronto, and then the focus is going to switch to the offseason, because is he going to stay put in Toronto, or is he going to leave? Because obviously showing what he can do on a team that really wasn't expected to get as far as they did, to a, if he can upgrade to a different team if he wants to, where is that going to drive the price up for his contract next season? And then for the Golden State, their dynasty is, will be presumably over if you think about it. If you break it down, this might be the last time you see Curry, Thompson, Green, and Durant on the court at the same time. So the legacy going in there is they had a good run, but is it the run of legend? It's a debatable question. But let us know what you think. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts about the NBA Finals, and who do you think takes home the chip? We want to know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Two, three, four. Hey, this is Johnny Moose from Excite Wrestling, and you're listening to the ODPH. I didn't mess it up. I thought I would. Right now, back to the guys. Come on. 
coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast and UFC 238 was this past weekend in Chicago. Pad, break it down for us. Holy cow, this fight, the fights on this card were nothing short of incredible. Uh, For, of course, the big one that was a talked by a lot of people in the MMA community and fans around the world was, of course, the matchup between Tony Ferguson and Donald Cerrone, uh, or as it commonly became known as the People's Main Event. Now, Coach, you know both these fighters bring it. What were you expecting going into this fight? I mean, I thought it was going to be a clobber fest, uh, you know, the knockdown, slug out. He says the man once had a slobber knocker. Yeah, and I saw the the pre-fight interview that ESPN aired with Ferguson. Uh, man... He he's a character. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, some of the like I I don't know. I mean, I can't you know even try to paraphrase what he was saying. But I, if there's not a guy who's more, it's everybody against me than him. I don't know who would be. <laughs> he he, he is, literally. I mean, he's like everybody's out to get me. Basically, he has one of the biggest chips on his shoulder, and he is known to bring his intensity, his. Uh, just sheer energy to the ring. Like mm-hmm. I, I was kind of cracking up, and and when he comes out, his walkout music is like breakdancing techno. Yeah, he, yeah. I mean, it's and just weird. He's just a different cat, and just when he comes in there, just the pace he he establishes. Not only yeah. was the interview in a dim lidded like training facility, but he still had sunglasses on. Yeah, he always. And I'm yeah. just like, all right, I understand the eye sensitivity thing, and I'll respect that, but. It's a dim-lidded room, bro. Like, yeah. What are you doing? He's just a different cat. And when he got in here against Donald Cerrone, we knew the implications. The winner of this mm-hmm. is arguably the number one contender for the winner of Habib versus Poirier. I'll say the other nuts thing that I didn't realize until we got to the fight was, what is it? It was like the third fight this year for Cerrone. Yeah. And it's June. <laughs> Which is, it's protocol for Cerrone. Yeah. Cerrone, anytime, anyplace, anywhere. The man shows up to other cards in in fighting weight just in case somebody needs a call in. Full gear, baby. Yeah. Yep. And obviously, he's a fan favorite. Ferguson is definitely a fan favorite, too. You knew when they were getting in there, they were going to be throwing some punches, kicks, and whatever they else could do. And the first round was all Cerrone, who was matching jab for jab. And Ferguson really kind of took his time getting the pace going for the for the fight. But the second round, he kicked in high gear. I don't want to say Cerrone looked slow or old because I don't think that's the right verbiage. I want to say just Ferguson was imposing so much of his will and connecting on shots. I'll say Cerrone wasn't the slow start we're typically used to, but he also wasn't the quick start he's done in the last couple fights. Right. And then you get to the end of the second round. Now, this is where things get a little crazy. Mm-hmm. Because Ferguson is landing punches, the bell is rung, and then there's a quick left jab, and then a uh, it's a left right combo that is just he's going in the motions. I don't think it was thrown intentionally, no, by any stretch of the imagination. However, the minute that Cerrone gets to this corner, he makes one of the most boneheaded moves. That you're told through every fight camp you go through. It, I got a text from the common man, Vince Ciotoli, and he just went, he just blew his nose. And what I mean by this is Cerrone's nose was all busted up. If you have a broken nose or a broken orbital, the worst thing in the world you can do is blow your nose. Mm-hmm. Because the minute he did that, it started swelling shut. And they even showed a really great slow motion replay of it where, and now it wasn't a typical, like you're thinking like you hold two fingers up to your nose and blow. No, he just kind of closed one of his nostrils, blew, and then his eye instantly started swelling shut. And you could see a look of realization on his face where he went, oh God, what just happened? 
I'm sure he, it was a reaction. Yeah, oh, yeah. It was just yeah. the worst time because anytime the doctor has to come over and look at it. Well, and he oh, even, it's always yeah. a worry. Well, and he even said after the fight was called that he was just trying to get the air down from out of the, that was building up in his eye. And he's like, oh, I made a rookie mistake that I should have known not, you know, as long as I've been fighting and as much experience as I have, I shouldn't have done it, but I made a rookie mistake. Right. But obviously at this point, they had to stop the fight and they yeah. did award it via TKO to Ferguson. So that being said, let me ask the panel this. Ferguson technically won that fight. Mm-hmm. Where do you think he goes from here? Starting with Pat. Boy, I love... I think we I think we mentioned it last week where you've got some fights coming down the line that are escaping me at the moment. But I think you look at that and then he's he'd be next in line after those two guys, maybe against a Conor McGregor or something like that if Conor wants to come back. Do you give him the title shot? Uh I think that's a conversation you have to have. I mean, in my head right now, gut decision, sure. Coach, you have any feelings on this? I, I say you pull the trigger on Connor too. I think that if the I I know that Ferguson did mention this in his interview. And he was asked, you know, point blank, that the talk right now is doing a Connor uh, Khabib too, you know, and how he felt about that. And his gut reaction was, if they're smart, they put me and Khabib together, and not Connor, but they just want to get paid, and so blah 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 blah. But I mean, I think the fight is uh, Connor Khabib because you can do it a little bit sooner if Connor's willing to return, and then you go from there as far as you know, the winner would then get Khabib. It's a really interesting question because Ferguson did earn the win, albeit there's a, a growing fan base, and I believe we threw the poll on Twitter, that is really split if he should have an immediate rematch with Cerrone or he should get either Connor, or he should get the winner of Habib and Poirier. Now, the problem is with if he does get the title shot against Habib versus Poirier, and let's say Habib wins. This will be, I believe, the fifth time this fight has been scheduled to happen between those two. Uh-huh. Can you try doing that for a fifth time? I mean, can I be wrong for the fifth time in a row? I mean, it's one of those weird situations that you really... If they make the fight again, I have no faith that both of them are going to get to the fight healthy. This is nothing to say against them, but it's, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I mean, I don't know what the saying is for fool me for the fifth time, but that would apply here. Uh, It'd be, you're dumb. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the problem you have because Ferguson is as talented as he is. You really can't trust that this fight with both fighters can can happen because something, I don't know, karmatically or what, this fight just can't ever happen. We're, yeah. we're bo- either one of these guys. Because so the universe is just working against it. I mean, that's why just to me, it, uh, and I know like you can't help injuries and, and all that jazz, but I feel like the smart money is just in trying to get one more octagon fight with Connor, whether he's willing to, yeah. return, you know, hopefully that he's willing to return. And even if it's set up for an interim thing for you to then have the winner face Khabib, you know, to, to unify him again. See, the way I was kind of thinking about this, the more I, I really dug into it, I don't necessarily think you need Cerrone Ferguson too. I mean, you can, and I wouldn't struggle if they decided to book that. I feel like neither fighter would argue against that if they decided no, to make it. Because no. the thing, if you remember from the post-fight interviews, was neither fighter was happy about the outcome. Right. So it like make... even, even Ferguson was like, I'm going to be kicking myself about this for a long time. And that could even be a good UFC on you know ESPN Plus type card. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I think they should. I think they should that give would them five. Make sense. They should give them five rounds. Yeah. I think you should try going that route first. But my other scenario, I'm just going to throw out there, is this: 
Okay. If you don't want to do that fight, let's say Cerrone, Cerrone is saying that his orbital is not broken and things are healing up and he's ready to go very soon. Well, to be fair, Cerrone could be missing his left arm and looking at Dana White going, no, I'm good to fight. Oh, 100%. True. I'm full gear. Yeah. But what I think he's going to end up doing is, this is how I'd break this down. I'd have Ferguson fight Justin Gaethje. Okay. And you want to talk fisticuffs? I, that one, just give me five rounds on that. That's all I ask. I just want five rounds because that will be your definition of Rock'em Sock'em. I am scared to see that fight because literally somebody is going to get knocked out and just it's going to be a spirit test. Just like how they yeah. do in pro wrestling. Yeah. It's just going to be punch, 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 punch. Well, who drops first? You, exactly. You don't really need to worry about a takedown in that situation. If Ferguson wins that one, you have to give him the number one contendership. No questions asked. It's done deal. It's a wrap. Because if you look, he's now won, I believe, 12 in a row Oof. of names in the division. So if you don't give him that shot, you give him Gaethje. On the flip side, you do make that fight with Cerrone and Conor McGregor. That fight is a big money fight. It will still keep Conor and Cerrone in contention because with Conor, you never know what's going on. The retire, we don't, we do, we don't. That way, you still have your big money fight. There's still buzz to be generated about this. It makes a lot of sense to do. I'd go that route. I think the biggest the biggest problem is is the Ferguson Khabib can they you know stay healthy to the fight mm-hmm. and then the Connor will he come back to fight? I so think a lot of question marks, you know. Oh yeah, I agree, and that's why I said I think I think if you Connor a big enough fight that you could come back to and him and Cerrone that's that's pay per view dollars that will sell. You don't have to worry about that. That's what he was looking for. That's what we'll get. And then, like I said, for Ferguson, if you're not going to give him that title fight for whatever reason. You give him the fight against Gaethje. If he wins that, you, right. there's nobody else. You you can't make an argument otherwise. And I honestly don't care about seeing Ferguson McGregor. I, I don't. I, I really don't. I need to see this fight happen. And I'd love to see Ferguson versus Habib if it's going to happen. Or is it going to be Ferguson Poirier? Either way. I mean, whoever wins out of that matchup is going to be a worthwhile fight for Ferguson. It's going to be a really interesting dilemma the UFC is going to have to figure out quick. I know Gaethje has been asking for the fight against Ferguson. I think Ben Askren threw it out there. I'm all for it. Let it happen. And you want to talk about a great fight, book that. Everybody stays healthy to get to it, and then watch what happens. Going to the co-main event pad. Mm -hmm. It was Valentina Shevchenko uh, defending her uh, women's flyweight championship against Jessica I via knockout in the second round. And my God, this head kick. Shevchenko is is running that division. This was a... You want to talk about a knockout? That was scary. Yeah, I was on the ground for quite a while. It looked unconscious after this kick. Mm-hmm. No shame. She definitely showed up. I was trying to you know, get her game plan going. But Shevchenko is just on a different level at flyweight. Yeah. It's, yeah. You talk it's, about, her, it's her division, and everyone else is just playing around in it. Exactly. Like She's going to need somebody to step down from bantamweight to give her some challenge at, at this weight class. I don't know who you get for next fight, but she is sending that just scary message that this is my division. No, oh, yeah, come take the crown if it, you can. Yeah, this this knockout was just plain scary. Like, look up the highlight on YouTube. Like, the, the highlight doesn't even do it justice for like just how long Jessica I was out because Shevchenko hits this head kick and Jessica I drops. I didn't have a stopwatch going for how long she was dropped, but it wasn't until I want to say it was some point in when Bruce Buffer was doing the announcing of like Shevchenko winning the fight that she finally was setting up. Right. This is not a knock on eye by any means. She took one heck of a, of a knockout shot, and it just unfortunately was on the other end of it. 
so but Shevchenko should definitely get a lot of credit and just uh, you want to talk about a dominating performance this is where you look at it and where she goes from here I don't know but I tell you what somebody's going to really need to bring their A++ game mm-hmm. if they're going to take off Shevchenko so going to the main event pad yeah, for your main event, you had it was a great fight back and forth. You had Henry Cejudo defeating Marlon Moraes uh, by TKO with punches in the third round to win the vacant bantamweight championship, and Henry Cejudo becoming the UFC's latest champ champ, or well, his words, champ champ champ. Yeah, Cejudo definitely has entered into the elite champ champ club, but he is also an Olympic gold medalist, which he wore to the ring, mm-hmm, which, which was kind of he, he labeled himself the champ champ champ. Badass. Yeah. yeah. And he definitely had a great fight against Moraes. Moraes, he looked tired, though, yeah. going in that third round. Like, he, he, yeah. like I don't know what it was about him, because, I mean, Moraes was definitely standing up with him, and, and Cejudo did look like he was having a tough first round against him. Yeah. But, but then Cejudo took over in that third round, and then we got him in that clinch mm-hmm. and was dropping knees. It was Anderson Silva, Rich Franklin, like, if oh, you yeah. just to put it mildly. Oh, yeah. And Cejudo definitely became a star. Not that he wasn't before, but I think a lot of people were thinking, okay, maybe the fight against Demetrius Johnson was a flash in the pan. I know I did, and I'll be the first one to say it right. because I had Demetrius Johnson winning that. But take nothing away, Cejudo went up, and he defeated TJ Dillashaw, and now – we're at the situation where it's Moraes is going to be going to the back of the line. I don't know who steps up to fight Cejudo. I know he called out a bunch of names. Yeah. He called out Dominic Cruz, Kobe Garbrandt, Uriah Faber. So he called out a who's who of like potential opponents. There was only one fighter earlier in the night, though, that called him out. Mm-hmm. Alamein Sterling. Yep. So, Coach, let me ask you this. How big is the champ champ title these days? <laughs> I mean... Everybody's calling themselves champ champ yeah. anymore. So, yeah. I mean, it almost, unless you are and are currently the champ champ, I think that it's relevant, you know, in that instance. But if you are not the champ champ and you continue calling yourself the champ champ, you are making the the saying irrelevant. Yeah. It's almost gotten to the point now where, yeah, we're having too many champ champs. And I, I don't know that, that too. And, I, and it's almost kind of like, I don't want to say it's, it's watering down the prestige of the belts, but it's also kind of getting in a situation where divisions are starting to get locked up a little bit. Wasn't, I, it, wasn't it also a couple years ago, like not too long ago, under five years ago, where we thought something like this was completely out of the question, like it would never happen? Well, right, because we've always had in the situation, and I'll even throw boxing in as prime example, when you have fighters that are the elite of their divisions and have arguably cleared out their entire divisions and there's nobody left for them to fight, when you have these kind of situations pop up, it's tough to get opponents to really kind of step up and challenge and, and really mm-hmm. you know, have these fights happen that fans want to see. And when you have the, you know, the guys in their prime that really want to step up and fight each other, it doesn't happen. I mean, we take a look at what happened with boxing and how you know, super fights there are out the window pretty much because, well, they couldn't get Wilder, Joshua together. Canelo Triple G is going for a trilogy that nobody really – Needs to see because Triple G won both of those fights. Yep. At me on Twitter about it. I will go back and forth. But in this situation for the UFC, we now have had a whole division get held up with when Conor McGregor became the first champ champ. Mm-hmm. And then you also talk about when GSP came back and he became a champ champ. And then, you know, uh, Daniel Cormier became a champ champ. So now the fourth one to enter that is going to be Henry Cejudo. And he's already talking about staying up at 135. They have not officially said his division is gone of the flyweights. But they also haven't said it's staying. 
Right, so there's a lot of uncertainty there. So for him, he's got a bright future, and he's definitely starting to market himself a little bit, kind yeah. of in the Conor McGregor stance, calling out a lot of names, getting the social media going. In the weigh-ins, he came in with, what, the magic trick again? Yeah, he was doing some sort of magic show. So where he goes from here is going to be interesting. I think Sterling makes a lot of sense for the fight for him because, obviously, if he's going to move up to bantamweight, he's going to have a lot of challengers. Uriah Faber is just coming back from retirement. Mm -hmm. Dominic Cruz has had knee injuries, so see where he goes. And Cody Garbrandt, I mean, you could put him in there, but I don't really know if you want to do that in that situation. Right. A lot of question marks coming out of – UFC 238, but a lot of great fights nevertheless. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts about UFC 238? We want to know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. The ODPH is proud sponsors of Robocon 2019 happening September 28th and 29th. Don't miss out on Binghamton, New York's biggest sci-fi, fantasy, and gaming convention of the year. For badge details and more info, check out Robocon.org. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH pad. You got that local minute? Yeah, of course, local minute. We're going to be talking a little Binghamton Rumble Ponies news. Of course, last week they had a three-game series against Harrisburg where they lost two and won one. Then they had a three-game series against Hartford where they again lost two and won one. Uh, as we record, they're starting the first of a three-game series against the Trenton Thunder. Uh, and then they have a three-game homestand this coming weekend against the Altoona. Uh, all game, Of course, all game is going to be a nice egg stadium down here in Binghamton. More information, bingrp.com. Always a good time to get down to the Rumble Ponies. They mm-hmm. have a lot of promotions going yeah, on. Yeah, it's fun. So it's going to be a, a fun time down at the old stadium. So yes. definitely get down and check it out. Yes. So let's round those bases, shall we? Pad, do you want to lead us off? Yeah, sure. Of course, we got the all-star voting going on in Major League Baseball, and we've got our first update. Now, the interesting thing with this year, of course, is they've changed the voting a little bit where you've got kind of like a preliminary stage where ev- at least one player from each team is in every position. The top three vote-getters move on to the second stage, and then from there you vote on who's going to be the starter. Uh, at this point in the all-star voting, I'm not going to go through every uh, position and every person who's got what position. I'm just going to go through and who's in first place at each position. Uh, with the, Starting off with the American League, uh, leading at catcher, you have Gary Sanchez of the New York Yankees. First base, you've got Luke Voigt of the New York Yankees. Second base is Tommy Lastella of the Angels. Third base is Alex Bregman of the Houston Astros. Short, uh, shortstop is Jorge Polanco of the Minnesota Twins. And then for outfield, you've got Mike Trout of the Angels, George Springer of the Astros, and Austin Meadows of the uh, Tampa Bay Rays. And then for designated hitter, you've got J.D. Martinez of the Boston Red Sox. Switching over to the National League, you've got Wilson Contreras of the uh, Chicago Cubs leading at catcher. First base, you've got Josh Bell of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Second base is Ozzy Albias of the uh, Atlanta Braves. Third base is Nolan Arenado of the uh, Colorado Rockies. Shortstop is Javi Baez of the Chicago Cubs. Outfield is Cody Bellinger of the Los Angeles Dodgers, Christian Yelich of the Milwaukee Brewers, and then Ronald Acuna Jr. of the uh, Atlanta Braves. And then they do not have a designated hitter, well, because National League does not have a designated hitter. Well, it's always the Midsummer Classic. Mm-hmm. You know they'll be approaching very shortly, and the Home Run Derby. Yes. Names are getting slowly but surely oh. added, so Pad will be all over that when yes. that news gets announced. Yes. And we also want to send speedy recovery wishes to David Ortiz of the Boston yes. Red Sox fans. Yes, absolutely. So obviously with what happened to him, we just wish him the best here from the ODPH. Going into Coach Duffy's base. 
uh, NBA workouts. The draft is in Ooh. two weeks, guys. Ooh, and right around workouts the are happening. Jay Morant, I and I mean, this happened about a week ago. Just had a knee scope. So that's something to look into going Ooh. into the draft. R.J. Barrett just visited the Knicks yesterday and okay. had a workout with there and had, you know, that pivotal interview with the Knicks, you know, stating that New York is his place. This is where he wants to be, yada, yada, yada. If the Knicks hold on to the pick, yada, yada. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, he has stated that he's not going to work out for any other teams prior hmm. to the draft. Interesting. So that's uh, – I guess the Knicks are a bust for him. And then Morant, I believe, uh, is scheduled for a couple more interviews. I know that he did do a workout with Memphis before the knee surgery. And then the Knicks are bringing in, um, you know, a few other guys. I know Cam Reddish is somebody that's on their board. The gentleman from Texas whose name is escaping me right now, Culver, is also scheduled for a workout. So, Lots of things to be on the lookout for, and again, the draft is in two weeks, so yep. AD's name, Anthony Davis, is going to be all the talks leading to that time. And funny you bring up Anthony Davis. I saw a post today. Uh, according to Caesars out in Vegas, the current odds-on favored to land Anthony Davis, should he be traded at currently minus 400 odds, are the Los Angeles Lakers and the New York Knicks are second with a plus 500 odds of landing Anthony Davis. Well, I mean, for right now, that with, with the way that goes, the, the way that the Knicks – get him is if they put Mitchell Robinson in the deal. I think that's the only that's the make or break mm-hmm. for uh for New Orleans to ship him to New York. Right. At the same time, I don't think uh, the Lakers really have anything that the New Orleans would want right now. I mean, other than that f- number 4 pick, but really honestly, I would rather stick it out with Zion plus AD and yeah. and, and go that route than trade him to the Lakers cuz you're not going to get much back in return. Right. It's going to be interesting to see what happens and where Anthony Davis winds up. I mean, when was it June 30th, I believe, 6 p.m.? They moved up the date. Something like that, yeah. For the draft, or I mean, free agency, rather. It's ju- yeah, it's the day before, so June 30th at 6. Yes. Yep. So we will be definitely watching our Twitter and social media for that because when that news breaks, it's going to get. I mean, get- 559, my finger is going to be refresh, refresh, uh, refresh, F5, refresh. F5, F5, like, F5, let's yep. go. Uh, I think we should also mention because it just went final as we record here. Uh, congratulations to the U.S. women's national soccer team who just won their uh, game against Thailand in dominating fashion with a final score of 13 to 0, a.k.a. a touchdown and a mi- two touchdowns and a missed extra point. Holy cow, congratulations to them. Absolutely wild, but congratulations to them. Just 13 nothing in soccer. Oof. Wow. I'll say I mean, I've played my fair share of FIFA, and I've played on easy, and I can't put up 13 goals. I haven't played FIFA since FIFA 94, and if you ever play that game on Super Nintendo, getting to 13 goals, unless you're the computer, is pretty impressive. Yeah. It's absolutely wild. Just to try comprehending that Scoring score. a goal in FIFA 94 was impressive, let alone yeah. 13 of them. Yeah. True true story. True story. So going into my base, I got to talk a little hockey. It is game seven time of the Stanley Cup Finals. Hockey. Ooh. Oh, yes, we talk hockey. Well, I haven't been because, obviously, Blue Shirt Nation. <laughs> Nothing is going on there. We only have the number two pick, and that's what I'm going to focus on. So I've been trying to just really steer the karma that way, and it worked because we got the number two pick. But Boston and St. Louis are wrapping up their series. Game 7 mm-hmm. is taking place Wednesday night. Nothing better than Stanley Cup hockey in Game 7. No, yeah. and obviously Game 6 was a shootout for Boston. Boston looked like the fresh team out there. They had a huge win in St. Louis. So now Game 7, it's anybody's guess, and you go with the hot goalie. So Jordan yep. Bington of St. Louis versus Tuka Rask from Boston. Guys, do you have a pick for the game? Where uh, can, Where's the game again? 
It's in Boston. Okay. I'm going to go Boston. Let's Boston. say it's hurting you to say this. Oh, oh God. I mean, game seven at home, you always got to go home cooking. The whole advantage is always there. It's very difficult to win a game seven, especially in that Boston crowd. You know, the way that they get behind the Bruins. Yeah. <laughs> Coach is not holding back on this pad. You got to pick. Oh, uh, unfortunately, as much as it pains me as a, a kind of soft rooting New York Rangers fan to root for Boston, I think it's going to be Boston. Boston's been there before. They've got the veteran hands. And like we were talking about before we were recording the show, St. Louis just looks tired. Although it will be interesting to see if St. Louis pulls this off because there's a thing I've seen on Twitter where there is a St. Louis Blues fan who put, I believe it's a $400 bet on the St. Louis Blues to win the Stanley Cup when the odds... Stupid. When, it's so lucky. Well, when the odds on the St. Louis Blues were 250 to 1. So if this pans out and the St. Louis Blues end up winning the Stanley Cup, the man will end up making out with like $100,000. Dumb. I mean, I literally... Those prop bets like that, I wish that I would get on. Yeah. I mean, those are always the good ones. And just my teams are never good. I mean, I would never take that prop bet on the Knicks. Right. Not never. Never. And then the Rangers, the years that they, you know, you would have the, oh, yeah, we'll take that prop bet. They were still a good team, so you probably would have, you know, put $400 bet would have probably only got you 600 bucks. Right. Like, I mean, it's just, there's never an opportune time because no New York team ever surprises you. It's either they're good or they're bad. Or yeah. they're bad. But no, as to your question, I think it's going to be the veteran hands in Boston pulling it out at home game seven. Rask is playing out at a very high elite level for Boston. And there's no question of that. Boston's been here before. They've had deep runs in the playoffs. And obviously, them being on home ice is going to impact them. Huge. But I can't do it. I'm not jumping on the Boston bandwagon. I will somehow. I mean, I mean I'm not jumping on the bandwagon. Yeah, I'm just God, being, I'm just being I mean, realistic about it. I one game here, no, man. I, mean, I, I, I couldn't even do it. I can't do it. And I won't do it. Because I am going with Bingington who is 7-2 after defeats in the playoffs. Ooh, okay. Oh, a little fun stat there yes. for you, everybody. A, li- a little fun stat. I, I don't follow St. Louis that much. I follow the New York Rangers, so obviously until we get the Cup next season, somebody's got to hold it for us, yeah. and it's going to be somebody from the Western Division. And St. Louis, I have a feeling, is going to gut it out. It's going to be a the, – the one thing about the series, if you've been able to catch, with the exception of the last game, it's been fun hockey. Mm-hmm. Especially, I don't know, maybe because I don't have a team in the race. But, but yeah, that could be the case. This one has been fun to watch, and Boston, yeah, they looked hot going into Game Six and just the third period when they finally took over. They look good, no question of that. But I'm going with St. Louis. Why? Because sometimes when you get on the road and they play exceptional when they're on the road, this is where they shine, and they're they really have nothing to lose. Everybody's predicting Boston. To get there, I mean, they won in what 2011. Yeah, they got to the Stanley Cup Finals, and that's been the last time they really kind of made that significant run. They have some of the same players that were on that team on their roster right now, but St. Louis is kind of playing with house money, and I like the chance they're going with. And Binghamton, like I said, he plays better on the road. They do play better on the road, so I think they got one more road game in their wheelhouse, and I think they're going to pull it off. Even though I wouldn't doubt Tukarask having a huge game, but I'm going with St. Louis. I'll even give you a four-three score. Ooh, okay. I'll throw that at you. Oh, he's even doing scores here. Oh, boy. <laughs> Nobody likes to roll the dice Four, more than yours three. truly. Yeah, I'm going to go a little crazy with this one. Man, they, that's seven. an offensive game, huh? Somebody's gonna nobody's going to be tight, huh? Game seven, it's not going to be uh, dump and chase. It's going to be uh, open-style hockey, huh? I think it's going to be a little open-style hockey. I think St. Louis is going to come in there with a little chip on their shoulder because obviously losing badly as they did at home, I think that they're going to have a little something to prove and then – just depends on who's got the will to win. Mm-hmm. But it'll be fun hockey. 
definitely check it out. And like I said, St. Louis is my early prediction, so don't let me down. So going to close the show out, we did get an email from one of our favorite bands, Fair City Fire, who decided to shoot a quick line up to us, and I'll just read it on here. If you heard our new intro, this might have a little something to do with it. Hey, Coach Ken, Pad, and JR. Congratulations on two years with the podcast. We're so happy for you guys doing what you're doing up in the 607. We decided to send you a little gift. It's our brand new single, Simple Stupid. It's on Spotify and wherever you find our music. Thanks for everything you guys have been doing with hashtag Fair City Fire and hashtag Fair City Friday. We'll see you guys in July when we come up to Ransom Steel Tavern. So we're going to end the show with the brand new single from Fair City Fire. But like we said, this is the two-year anniversary of the ODPH. What a long, strange trip it's been, but we can't say thank you enough to everybody who's been supporting the show, all the guests we've had on over the past two years, Crow's Nest MMA, Johnny Moose from Excite Wrestling, Jimmy Evans from the Binghamton Bulldogs, who we it need worked. to get in studio next season. I'm throwing, Absolutely. We're throwing this out there. If you want to come down and talk a little locks and leaps with us, Jim. ABA Finals, heading to Binghamton again. Let's make it happen, especially with the All-Star Game and the Elite Eight happening. It's going to be a fun time next season. And for every band that's been on the show, for every listener that's been spreading the word, doing a re- review, ratings, everything you can to help support the show, we can't say thank you enough. Andy Adams, thank you, too. Loyal listener in his own right, Kevin Molson. That's right. Like, review, and subscribe, as the YouTubers would say. Yes, because when you guys do that, that is the biggest compliment to us, and it just makes us give you the best show possible we can do. So here, congratulations to the team. Thank you for... You know, everything you guys have been doing the past two years, and let's keep that ball rolling. We got big thank 2019. you, Ken, for all that you do. Yeah. No, no. Thank you. And thank you. And thank you, the listener, because that's all I got for this week's show. So for Coach Duffy. Who is cleaning out his mouth right now after saying Boston would win. Yeah. Uh, and for Padawan J. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you to St. Louis. Keep the cup warm for us because Rangers are taking it home next season. And thank you for listening to shot. another edition of the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. Hashtag ODPH Podcast. We'll see you next time.